0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. Oh, that's too loud again, wasn't it?
1: Let's try it again. Take it down. percent. <laughs> fine. I think it's Really.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name's Richard Manfredi, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friends, Jeff. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. So how this usually works is Michael and I take on different topics and try to figure out what the foremost intriguing, interesting, or representative things are about that topic. But a couple of times a year, we decide to spice it up a little bit. Instead of having Jeff be the uh, host and judge and the person who tells us, who's right and wrong, we get to put him in the hot seat, and he has to make some choices, and it's fucking great.
2: Yeah, you take the, <laughs> power,
0: <hate> back,
1: <laughs> take the that power back into our own hands. Power oh, to the
2: people, everybody. I still might judge a little bit while I'm being a contestant.
1: <laughs> as long as you judge yourself. <laughs> yes, That's the most I do. important thing.
2: Start
0: with the man in the mirror. <laughs> so this week's topic is jokey rap songs. Yeah. And I believe, Jeff, this is one of yours. Yeah. How, did, how the hell did we get here?
2: Well... I his name is Jeff. He's <laughs> here to say. Okay. My Jeff, you know what's the funny? The first thing I remember, the first jokey rap thing I remember was a commercial on television for a funny answering machine collection. Oh, I remember the way yeah, for, for the, the beep. beep. Yeah, you got to leave your name. You got to <laughs> leave your number. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> I remember thinking, "Oh my God, somebody's making fun of this new rap thing." And I have observed over time that my uh, palette for rap. Or, I'm sorry. My palette for humor in rock is much less than my palette for humor in hip hop or what we used to call rap, and I don't know why. Other than one, I think is a poetic. Uh, uh, rap is a poetry-based format, and its uh, lyrics are much of what guides the whole thing. And then rock, I feel like has a certain amount of emotion to it that when it starts being too funny it stops being rock it's it stops doing the thing that I think people uh uh want rock to do so you're not a they might be Giants fan no yeah. too jokey for you too jokey too nerdy for me that feels like the like a, a kid's album or, or cake. something cake is in my strike zone oh really yeah because they're pretty jokey they're, they're pretty, pretty jokey yeah but I feel like I can I'm not a bare naked ladies person mm. And I uh, well, thank God for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody wants to be a bare naked lady, yeah. Nobody wants to be that. But I asking myself why kind of led me to this topic. All yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. So, Jeff, you sit there. I'll you shut think, up. You think about what you've done by by picking this topic. I want to write some rhymes on a on a notepad. Yeah. Okay. You think about it. Okay. While Michael okay. gives his first. Pick. Okay.
1: Uh,
2: Lazy Sunday by the Lonely Air. Lazy Sunday, wake up in the late afternoon Call Parnell just to see how he's doing Hello, what up, pawns? Yo, Sandberg, what's crackin'? You you what I'm thinking? Naughty Man, it's happenin'! But first my hunger
0: pangs, I stick it like duct tape Let's hit up McNogia and mac on some cupcakes No doubt that bakery's got all the Bob frosting I love those cupcakes like McAdams loves Gosselin' Gosselin, Gosselin,
1: Gosselin, Gosselin Two, no
2: six, no twelve, a dozen I told you that I'm crazy for these cupcakes
1: Honestly, no. Yes. Uh, this is one of those songs that really launched the career of Andy Sandberg Yes. And his two writing partners that were eventually became like the lazy or the uh, lonely island comedy troupe slash like and incredible songwriters. Yeah. Uh, their albums are all funny and silly, but this was the song that I first thought of when you said jokey rap of taking a very um. Quasi serious. Um, they approached it very seriously in the way that it was written. Although they wrote about going to go see the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, what? <laughs> the <chronicle. laughs> Oh, I. Oh, so the song is what? No, I get. It.
2: Yeah, I exactly. Get what you do. do you feel like they uh, are almost too good at? Yes, it, it, that's what yeah. I was going to ask. Yeah. Is
0: it is? Do they actually have actually have any skills? with a
1: z yes as songwriters and as rappers they are very good and almost too good and it feels weird because snl is a very professional thing but sometimes you watch like an snl skit and it's like i get it it's not yeah it's whatever it's a silly song or whatever and the drop-off for like the snl digital shorts when uh those three left is like tremendous. Yeah, Like the songs are fine, but they're just not, Mm -hmm. they're just not as good. And I think this kind of came out of left field and you didn't expect Andy Sandberg and Chris Parnell to be these guys that kind of had like this hardcore kind of style kind of in your face. But then they were singing about Red Vines and Mr. Pibb. And it was just like, oh, this took the nation by storm and took really YouTube by storm. This was one of those first, oh, you can just, Put an SNL clip on YouTube and it's going to be watched one hundred and eighty million times. And like they're like, "Oh, this is something different."
0: Let me ask you something: Mm. Is is the appeal of this song somewhere in the same ballpark as the appeal of Paul's boutique era Beastie Boys?
1: Yeah, or
0: that check your head kind of ill communication. Yeah, it's
1: it's like a.
0: The reason I say that is because the BC Boys, especially in that era, but throughout their music, always had humor as a major part of it. And especially as they got older, they would be willing to rap about things and throw references in
1: there that other people wouldn't think of. That's interesting. I I guess there's probably some elements there, but the I think the idea that they took something that the idea of the song is going to go see like a brunch version of a brunch viewing of the Chronicles of Gnarly. Like it's a thing that no one would actually ever rap about where the Beastie Boys might rap about, um, something kind of nerdy or whatever. Justice for Tibet or
2: some, some yeah. Like, that. well, I've been reading the Beastie Boys book and I'm love that we're talking about this now because immediately one of my choices was going to be a Beastie Boys song. Uh, but, It did reframe how I thought about uh, rap in terms of its origins. And in its origins, rap was very humorous. And there were, because it is a survival mechanism to go to a party and get on a microphone and entertain people, you have to be real and you have to talk about things that are engaging. But I think when New York rappers were at parties talking about life, it was one product, and when it became recorded entertainment that was sent out to the world, it became this different product hmm. that suddenly be, had to get hardcore and had to be a little bit more serious. And so it was so surprising when the Beastie Boys, as the children of New York intellectuals, <laughs> uh, went away from their hardcore roots because and punk roots, because they wanted to be silly and rap Mm. uh, and started to talk about things like Carvel Ice Cream or Jerry Lewis or... Creamy Walker. Jimmy Walker or creating these fake identities um, as these Lothario, frat rock jock people. And it was all done with a big tongue-in-cheek because these kids' parents were playwrights and authors and professors (laughs) and things like that. And, and they, no one got the joke and, initially. Yeah, no one knew that in the band originally was a woman in right. the Beastie Boys, and that they were all very uh, open-minded. They made they brought party
0: party music back to rap. Think about like Sugar Hill Gang and like Rappers yeah. Delight. That's yeah. a part. Those are party songs. Yeah, those are songs that are not meant to be taken seriously.
2: They're not really about uh-huh. anything. Well, Sugar Hill Gang and Rappers Delight is my first. Choice.
0: Oh, right. I said a hip hop, the hibbit, the hibbit to the hip, hip hopper. You don't stop the rocker to the bang, bang, boogie. Say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are going to try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to say hello. Oh, to the
2: black, to the white, the red, and the brown, and the purple, and yellow, but first, I, bang, bang. I don't know if we we'll want get to get away no, that's yeah, from that's that, that okay. a good segue. Uh, But <laughs> the... Look uh, how
0: professionally I'm running this show, by the show, <laughs> You're Perfect dude, you, segue. You're better than that other guy.
2: Uh, so 1979, when the uh, rapper, Rapper's Delight comes out, it is like a number one, it's not the first rap album or a rap single, big rap single to come out, but it's one of the first, and it's the first one to get like a mainstream chart success. And it was when my third grade class were choosing the names of the rats that were going to be in the science experiment. What One rat eats health food, one rat eats junk food, and the other is like uh, just eats rat food or something like that. And so they were named uh, Big Bank Hank. <laughs> <laughs> I forget the name of the sugar. Okay, I'm messing a this big up Big Bank
0: Hank. Mike Wright and Master G.
2: Yeah, yeah. So those are the rats names. And the kids in my class could not get enough. I grew up I went to an integrated school. Those kids could not get enough of the Sugar Hill Gang. And I remember listening and thinking this was very funny because he's talking about going to his friend's house and the chicken tastes like wood and he has to pretend like his parent his his friend's mom's cooking is good. So at that time, uh, rap still had an integral part of humor in it and so mm. still telling telling jokes or telling you know what being true about life was still an important thing so that was the reason why that was the first choice because it was really the first rap song um uh, one of the first rap songs i remember not the first funny one because that was the answering machine song No, this was or that had elements of reality in it which reminds me that that was initially part of rap like if the grandmaster flash singing about don't push me because i'm close to the edge because there's Rats and prostitutes, and there's all these things that are so ridiculous we have to joke about it. Um, that was definitely a component of it, so yeah, that's the one I picked. And uh, I love it because everything rhymed <laughs> back in the early <laughs> it days, it really was the uh, the, uh, yeah.
0: the the the. The layout, the design for the yeah. I'm Mike D, and I'm yeah. here to oh, say yeah. I'm the best rapper in the USA. Yeah, really was about that complex yeah. of a of rhyming. I speed. would also
2: say it's pretty enduring. It's something that people refer to. You'll you'll have you know it gets name checked or it's get lyrics uh, reused in other songs and things like that. So that's my first one. I like it.
0: I mean, you, you, some of these lyrics. Like I said when you're talking about like going over to a friend's house for something to eat. Yeah. Again, you, you're basically talking about poverty. Yeah, going over to a friend's house and he can't afford to have any good food for you. Yeah, that's poverty. Yeah,
2: is what they're what they rap. But they're about. also, but uh, it's funny. It's it's it could be a sitcom. You know, they're kind of telling this story, and it it isn't what rap turned into, and that is self aggrandization and bitches and hoes and all kind mm. of stuff. So. Right. I like it.
1: Michael, second choice. Uh, my next choice won the first ever Grammy for best rap performance. And that is D.J. Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince of Parents Just Don't Understand. Oh, wow. Really? First Grammy? Yeah. Wow. And uh, this is, I knew I needed a Fresh Prince song in here somewhere, and I wasn't sure if it was going to be like uh, The Nightmare on My Street or if it was going to (laughs) be, I think I could beat Mike Tyson. But this is the song that really, I think, um, set up at least Will Smith's career as a, jokester of I remember one year my mom took me
0: school shopping. it was me, my brother, my mom oh my pop and my little sister all hopped in the car we headed downtown to the gallery mall Started bugging with the clothes she chose. I didn't say nothing at first. I just turned to my nose. She said, What's wrong? This shirt costs twenty dollars. I said, Mom, the shirt is plaid with a butterfly collar. The next half dollar was the same old thing. My mother buying me clothes from 1963, and then she lost her mind and did the ultimate. I asked her for Adidas, and she bought me zips. I said, Mom, what are you doing? You're my rep. She said, You're only sixteen. You don't have
1: And set up his comedic (laughs) career because it seemed like at least the opening credits and his entire look for the Fresh Prince of Bel Air was built off of the video for Parents Just Don't Understand. And at the time, Will Smith was twenty, so him singing about um, stealing his dad's Porsche, which seems suspicious, and all of the you know, and going shopping for school clothes and getting the wrong uh, outfit. Feels like, oh, this guy was just out of high school. This feels like something that this kid basically could kind of rap yeah, about and yeah. it was relatable, but it was also kind of silly. And I wonder how much the video kind of colored it too that it was very, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, eccentric mm-hmm. and it was very like uh, stylized, stylized like hyper real, hyper real. Yeah. 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 And, um, like, this set up this guy's entire career of being a comedian. Right. And uh, it's just kind of a fun, silly song that you can just relate to as a kid, too. Yeah. Maybe I was 10 years old at the time, too, and it was like, oh, yeah, I this is this is wonderful. This is silly.
2: I think I was a little too late for that. I think I had gone off to college by then, and so it was something about that that I, I thought it was kind of kid stuff. Um, but do you think that's a color... Palette to here. Here is obviously it's a uh, fish out of water prince in the popper, uh, almost like loaded up some truck and moved to Beverly uh, mm, or different, different strokes <laughs> yeah. kind of uh, concept. Uh, but it was done in such a colorful, exciting way with a guy who has spent three decades being one of the most um, uh, top-selling box office performers yeah. since then.
1: I think too, this song in particular was a very easy way for kind of like a white America yeah. to accept rap as a, like this song being the first Grammy winning song, mm-hmm. um, you know, it came out at a time when NWA was yeah. out yeah. and that is like the exact opposite side of, you know, this, this it's within the same realm of this music, but this was a lot, I guess, easier to digest, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, but also like the subject matter was just silly. It was about, uh, kids being out of tune with their parents and that was just like, oh yeah, that is always relatable to s- yeah. someone. Yeah. And yeah. Re- regardless of like uh-huh. praise, it's just like, yeah, it doesn't matter.
0: The song I remember before this of theirs was Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble, which is pretty much the exact same beat and song, <laughs> just with lyrics about girl troubles instead of parent troubles.
1: I had um, one of their albums, I think it was the one after this, He's uh, that
0: was uh, in this corner,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I I that's the one with them. I think I I beat Mike Mike Tyson, Tyson. and um, it was a song like the first song in the album is called like "And She Bit Me," and the entire song is this weird like. He's just kind of making up the story as he goes along, and it turns into this kind of weird Twilight Zoney sort of thing. That he's just like, "I'm lying. No, this didn't actually happen. Uh, we were there. We're at this girl's place. She bit me. We're playing Nintendo. No, it wasn't there. It was Sega. It was the and it was just like, what are you? Who are you? Ra- who is this? So- I don't understand who this yeah. song is for. Is yeah. it for? <laughs> he, he kinda, I think that they kind of existed in their own kind of world of rap outside of mm-hmm. the other worlds. But it was all about kind of like this. They're all about this kind of more of this party rap. Mm-hmm. And it was all about DJ Jazzy Jeff being out there and pumping up the house and going, you dance just to this music. It wasn't I don't think there was any real major social commentary. No, there,
0: there wasn't. The best song they ever did was Summertime.
1: Yeah. That's an incredible jam, by the way. That is
0: that is on my Mount Rushmore of jams.
1: Uh, did you have just you read jams. have you read the uh ringer piece on Summertime? No. Oh, go find it, where the guy uh Takes apart how it was impossible for this song, t- for this day to have happened, for him to drive all over <laughs> Philadelphia to get to this mall and then get back there. And yeah. what time did he have to change? The sun was going down at this point. This this day could not have existed. It's a decor- this,
0: this sounds like the guy's trying to figure out exactly which day today was a good day. Mm-hmm, was. Mm-hmm. Sounds very similar to that. Yeah,
2: Jeffrey, Michael. You my go. go time, my go So, uh, in college, um, two years into college and uh, listening to some public enemy, and my friend who's kind of really into public enemy, also into um, like rap seemed to be getting codified and getting uh, into this prescribed uh, different channels where you can either be like an LL Cool J or you can be. The, this kind of new invention, you can be kind of militant like Public Enemy. And it's been said that if Public Enemy was punk to rap, then alternative rock was De La Soul. And I remember hearing De La Soul for the first time and going, what the fuck is mm. this? And mm-hmm. it, these samples are from Johnny Cash, or this is from a cartoon, or this is from a, a um, Schoolhouse Rock thing. And right. It felt like it had its own time zone. And that... So the Daylight Soul Three Feet High and Rising, specifically um, me, myself, and I, had a great groove, and it was about this individuation that these artists were trying to create within this world. Mirror, mirror on the wall,
0: tell me, mirror, what is wrong? Can it be my daylight clothes or is it just my daylight song?
1: It's just me, myself, and I. It's
2: just me, myself, and I. And I can see it's at the time, myself, I. I don't know if this was before 2 Life Crew or probably around then, but there were there were a lot of people who were against, who were try, trying to create uh, hip-hop artists as these straw men that they could kind of crucify, or the PMRC was around trying to, trying to crucify all these guys. And these guys were saying... We're our own thing, and we're going to do it our in our own time zone. We're going to obey our own kind of rules. So I loved that album. And then as far as a guy who's kind of, if the topic is jokey rap, this album pretty much invented the in-between s- sketch, which happened throughout the album. Oh, so, sure. So yeah, many absolutely. times where they were doing like a game show or a trivia show mm-hmm. or some kind of thing and it almost felt like
1: weird interstitial break where they're just smoking
2: pot and joking yeah yeah and taking advantage of the cd format which was kind of unlimited like you could put tracks wherever and so um yeah that album was really kind of an eye-opener for me because it, it defied labels and um introduced me to this guy prince paul who had kind of a rap type name but wasn't doing things in that kind of typical way um yeah, so I, I thought it was pretty cool. And then I just loved also um um the magic number, you know, because as a white kid from a <laughs> pop culture kind of background, like I can identify with the schoolhouse I think three is the magic number, you know, it's like a schoolhouse right. rock thing. So yeah.
0: I uh I'm, I'm glad that you and I, I like this choice. I loved this song and this album growing up. Um as a white person it spoke to me. Yeah. In a way that, that frankly a lot of other rap. It didn't feel like, it felt like it was inclusive being something that because of all the different samples that were being used, some of the ones I could even recognize. Mm. Yeah. Um, it felt like a very inclusive type of album Where whereas maybe rap at the time was exclusionary. Right. If you were from a certain sure. class or mm-hmm. race or whatever you happen to be from. Um, and I'm, gl- I'm glad you pointed out the fact that the kind of, it's almost like it came from its own world. Because mm-hmm. even in this song, it had their own language to it. Yeah, know, like the plug
2: one, plug two. Like, yeah. what the hell is that? Yeah, Postanus, They have these crazy names that they that are just backwards versions of other terms. And, right. Yeah. It,
0: things that don't really make any sense mm-hmm. out, without any context, or even with context, doesn't make a lot of sense. But within the song itself, somehow fits. Yeah. So I think that that's a really I think that's a really interesting point on that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. All right, we are at the halfway point of the show, and this is where I jump in to remind everyone that our show needs your help. <laughs> if, you haven't heard, if you haven't noticed or already. Or just pennies a day. What the price of a cup of coffee? You can feed Michael. Um, no, we, we need your help in terms of giving us reviews. Reviews are the number one way that people find us. So if you can, if you like the show, or even if you don't, but really if you like the show, Um, You can go wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Semaphore. If someone is just doing that to to you, that's fine. Um, And give us a rating. Give us five stars if you don't mind. And let us know what you like about it. And also you can go on our different social media channels, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Just search for Mount Rushmore Podcast and you'll find us. Let us know what you think about the show. Let us know what you think about our picks. If hey, if you've got a pick that you think we missed, let us know. We'll let you know why you're wrong. Um, and also, you can suggest topics. We've had several people who have suggested topics who went on to become guests on the show and went on to greater things from there. I don't know what those greater things were, but I'm, I'm sure they did. So let us know. Connect with us. We like chatting with our with our listening audience. We like uh, cutting it up, as, as the kids say. <laughs> And we are back. And Michael, you are on. You're, you you are teed up and ready to go. Uh, the
1: 1992 album uh, "Bizarre Ride to the Far Side" oh. featured a song called "Yamama" by The Far Side, <laughs> which uh, for, for some reason was a single. But yeah. it, it's an entire song, which is uh, these guys rapping and singing "Yamama Mama!
2: <laughs> So big in fact that she can get busy with 22 burritos,
0: but times are rough. I seen her in the back of Taco Bell with handcuffs. The sad back, your mama smokes crack. She got a burning yearning and there's no turning back. Her knuckles back down to the ground when she walks. Spit comes out that bitch mouth when she talks.
1: This album came to me through my college roommate Travis, uh, who was a big, big fan of Farside. He had a lab cabin California poster on uh, his wall. Later, when we moved in together, it was a uh, poster that was on our wall. And uh, they're more famous for songs like "Drop" and "Run In." And this song is just so much fun. It is just guys sitting around telling jokes. Um, your mama joke. She's so fat. All this stuff mm-hmm. that is just—it's just a wonderful, silly, yeah, fun song. And they have a style that is kind of similar to De La Soul. Yeah, it's a little bit more groovy. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely is like the opposite side of like the gangster rap. Yeah, uh, that had kind of come to dominate rap music by the early '90s. Mm-hmm. I think by Kind of the mid to late 90s, things are starting to trend towards Snoop Dogg and eventually um, Puffy, okay. where, where things became a little bit more grandiose mm-hmm. and flashy, but mm-hmm. Far Side were not flashy. Yeah. They were clever and mm-hmm. really great wordsmiths and just had like these kind of groovy beats that kind of laid back that kind of mm-hmm. slipped through everything. And this song too is just one big joke. They're just yeah. they're guys laughing, telling these Yo Mama jokes, and a, one of my favorite
2: mm-hmm. one of my favorite songs. It's weird to think Gary Larson abandoned cartooning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the songs that is like talking. Perfect. <laughs> most of the songs involve a snake swallowing somebody, <laughs> rapping cows. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, cave, mul- cave just fat cave. Man. There was that duck. about uh spike jones um music videos and he's doing a video for fat lip Mm. the what's up fat lip Mm -hmm. and he goes on and on about how revealing fat lip is willing to be in music like how they're abandoning this these postures of rap trying to be important or trying to be all these other things and just trying to be themselves and he would also just kind of like he's in What's Up, Fat Lip? He's wearing a diaper in the middle of the street. <laughs> he <laughs> talks about how shitty his career is since he left Far Side, you know. And I just love that diametrically opposed to that reputation enhancement policy that seems like most hip-hop is about, mm. because that's how you survive on the street, uh, is by maintaining this hardcore kind of identity. But here's this guy in this group that are willing to just kind of be revealing.
1: I wonder if it was to, it, you know... Uh... They're from Northern California, uh, Farsight is, and I think that there is kind of like this, uh, feels like a duality that kind of existed up there. Like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of, like the guys that are like really hardcore from Oakland. Yeah. Um, the name slips my mind. Even like a band like Digital Underground, who, you know, had their biggest hit with with the Humpty Dance, yeah. which is a silly, jokey rap song. Like, they're they had like goofy songs as well as yeah. kind of harder. Like they played both sides. There There was definitely like a dance thing that kind of had faded away Um, that I think Farside kind of filled in that gap mm-hmm. a little bit. I always I always,
0: I always, associate them in my head even though there was no really direct connection with Wu-Tang Clan. Mm. I think in the same way that you had those albums that had those sort of like a lot of interstitial sort
1: of stuff in mm-hmm. between songs.
0: Yeah. And they could kind of go between funny and
1: hardcore it's interesting like uh group rap acts or group hip-hop acts seem to have that there's like a familiarity and a brotherhood and right. a like this song was felt very much like a gathering around of like okay we need all of you to write your write your best yo mama jokes yeah. and we're gonna sit around and sing them together mm-hmm. in the same way that wu-tang was a group that loves to sit around and watch Kung Fu movies and rap yeah. about Kung Fu. Like, when you get these groups together, they can sit around and rap about the things that brought them together that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily rap. It's just all the other yeah. auxiliary stuff.
2: And I always wonder, does the producer say, guys, we need another track? <laughs> <laughs> guys, going to eat your mama jokes. <laughs> well, in fact, we do.
0: Uh, Jeff, what's your third choice?
2: Okay, so um, I asked my friend... Uh, Byron Myrick uh, uh, when we were working in scene shop in college did he know any cool music that I should be listening to and he said do you know Big Daddy Kane and I had never heard Big Daddy Kane on the radio I got to admit I wasn't kind of down with him and I did not like his music that much in general when I bought the CD but I did like track number 11 on the album um, Taste of Chocolate by Big Daddy Kane uh, I, I had been informed that Big Daddy Kane was kind of a re- renowned wordsmith and um, later on Eminem and other people would kind of name check him and he wrote some of his Marquise rhymes too but on track 11 is Big Daddy vs. Dolomite featuring Rudy Ray Moore
0: allow me to introduce myself as the Big Daddy
1: Kane a smooth lover from around the way is bound to drive any bitch insane. Well, Dolomite is my name. And rapping and tapping is my game. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Dolomite. The shit you talking years ago, I could
0: see. But it's the 90s now when rap is all about me. Listen. When it comes down to rapping, I was through with it before you learned what to do with
2: it. And that's when you get enlightened to the fact that Dolomite was the er- godfather of rap, was the guy who was through with it before you knew what to do with it. It's, and Dolomite, it's baby. Dolomite, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and that opened up a big world of some of the most foul, <laughs> like, but hilarious um albums and, and recordings and then you realize that uh, R- Dolomite, uh, Rudy Ray Moore, Ru- Dolomite is a character of Rudy Ray Moore's who is this kind of uh, super pimp. And I learned that Rudy Ray Moore was like working in a record shop or something like that. And this guy used to come in and talk about his friend Dolomite, who was a super pimp. And Rudy Ray Moore would just overhear these stories <laughs> and think, I got to make this character Dolomite into a thing. And so would just chronicle the adventures of Dolomite. And so Rudy Ray Moore, all the, he was basically a comic, but turned this toasting and this hip-hop, this rhyming and stuff like that into something that would influence rap uh, as much as Jamaican toasting, uh, as much as all the dance hall stuff would. Um, so I loved the fact, too, that in this track, uh, Big Daddy versus Dolomite, Big Daddy Kane concedes the floor to Dolomite. It's his own album... And he invites Rudy Ray Moore to come in and just wipe up the floor with him. Indefinitely, um, <laughs> Big Daddy Kane always had this kind of very um, um, macho, kind of sexual kind of thing going on, but Dolomite was just one of the most foul, rude <laughs> kind of guys <laughs> exactly. ever. So Yeah. So it was fun to, to see, to have this track that features a guy who's essentially a comedian who... um, um how that kind of streetwise rap that he threw down was one of the influences of, uh, for rap. Would you say it's an influence on you today? Oh yeah. This is, this is the type of <laughs> posture. Well, do you like my velvet hat that I have on? <laughs> I the white broom like hat? It. Yeah. Uh, Your stick pin. Yeah. You guys. A very good yeah. Cuts <laughs> you, a winning figure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I thought it was really great and it wasn't something that I, I wanted to listen to a whole heck of a lot, but I could help kind of see where that humor came from, whether there's the Beastie Boys come from this kind of very kind of intellectual thing that's probably based on television and based on all these uh, uh, maybe even literary or pop culture type things. Uh, Dolomite kind of brought in the street, uh, like, like a guy like Red Fox. Yeah, um, I was just going to say he was the
0: same level of comedian as like a Red Fox. Yeah, definitely
2: or... a Chitlin Circuit kind of guy who had to, had to have a hustle going on. He worked blue. He worked blue,
0: yeah. Let's put it that
2: way. Yeah, and most of his records were weren't sold in the regular record stores or they're behind the counter or they're party records, so you wouldn't... They weren't ever on the charts or anything like that. But Yeah, there it is. That's a fun one. Laying it out. I like that. That's a fun one. All
0: right,
1: up to our last picks now. God, we could not go from hardcore to Weird owls. Oh white, yeah. White and nerdy. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's the best. <laughs> A cover redo, whatever you want. That's A weird alyzation of yeah. uh, uh Tremillionaire's uh riding so far they all think I'm too white and
2: nerdy. I just do white and nerdy, they am just too white and nerdy, I'm just too wide
1: got skills. I'm a champion at D&D. MTG, that's my favorite MC. Keep your forty out, just have an Earl Grey tea. My rims never spin. To the contrary, you'll find it there quite stationary. All of my action figures are cherry. Stephen Hawkins in my library. My MySpace page is totally pimped out. Got people begging for my top 8 spaces. Yo, I know Pi in a thousand places. Ain't got no grills, but I still wear braces. I uh, love my sandwiches remain in mayonnaise. We nice now was strangely days. late to like covering rap songs mm-hmm. in his uh oh yeah, in his discography. Like he didn't really start until he was into the 90s, mm-hmm. which there's a lot of untapped potential there that he just kind of yeah. whizzed by in, you know, and would rather uh, tackle do you a think Madonna song or a Cyndi Lauper That was
2: a marketing thing? Or do you think he I knew where his audience was or something?
1: Possibly, but I maybe he just didn't have maybe just didn't have a connection or didn't have a <laughs> as clever wordplay as yeah. white and nerdy. So why this song and not Amish Paradise? I think this is a better song. You do? Uh, yeah. Mm. Amish Paradise is I think this is a song that uh is just like a barf of a of a thesaurus of just yeah. like geeky things from referencing Dungeons and Dragons yeah. to uh building PCs. Like uh, Amish Paradise is fine. I don't I don't necessarily think that the song that he took it from was all that great a rap song to begin with. I don't no. think Gangster's Paradise is that great. But like maybe Wait. not even Raiden is that great a song. But this song I think is just he is able to cover a lot more territory. Yeah, in
2: this and playing to his crowd for sure. It's mm-hmm. like opening yeah. up a treasure chest full of uh, un- untapped <laughs> potential for his audience. <laughs> he, he really kind of is like,
1: we're gonna get at, we're gonna get after everything, whether it is <laughs> jokes about minesweeper to Happy Days to HTML to yeah uh, the Renaissance Fair and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. Star Trek. Like he's just he's uh, Weird Al is able to cover a lot of territory yeah. in this song and it, it makes you like oh the nerd culture is is big mm-hmm. on this one.
0: Weird Al is amazing. His ability to understand what song will work
2: for mm-hmm. his
0: audience mm-hmm. and be yeah. to be able to ad- not just adapt it but just sort of like that I, I know Jeff you've talked you've talked in the past about the like the DJs back in the 50s and the 60s who would do like their own versions of like the Jokey yeah, songs, yeah, and their ability. and There's one guy in particular, I'm yeah, totally Dickie blanking.
2: Goodman. He was able to, um, he, he had these drop in records that had hit songs of the day, but when he made them, they had yet to become hits. And I think right. Weird All has that, uh, sense for what has the bullet and is going up, yeah, uh,
0: and and also what to his specific audience, which is us basically, mm-hmm. you know, white guys in our 40s and 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 older, mm-hmm. um there's a very specific sort of thing that will that will resonate with them. Yeah. But you can't just... But you have to be... You can't just be narrow with it, so narrow that we're just doing Weezer songs mm-hmm. the whole time.
1: That's true. You have
0: to be able to find a way to... Yeah. And I think to your point, Jeff, I think probably in the 80s, rap wasn't mainstream enough, and it wasn't until, until rap started to become this sort of mainstream yeah. pop culture phenomenon.
2: I think you have to... I think Weird Al probably ask, what do my what do people f- how do people feel about this person and how can i tap into that and if we feel a certain thing about madonna or we feel a certain thing about michael jackson or whoever he's spoofing if we he wouldn't he, well, yeah he would never do a they might be Giants <laughs> song or something yeah, like that yeah you can't do that because yeah. it's already kind of yeah funny to begin with I, he's nerdifying it and it's already been nerdified somewhat he yes. wouldn't do he wouldn't need to do a um a Green Day song, or he wouldn't need to do some stuff like that. Jeff, was it not oh. on the same chart charts at the same time? As I think they both flip flopped from number one.
1: I'd have to look it up. Right, dirty and,
2: nerdy uh, and uh, white, and nerdy uh, were both on this on the pop chart like at the same time. That would that would be a coup. Can it's it's
1: just really like riding yeah. this guy's coattails. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, no? I I don't know, but he he just has this very. It's funny because he has such a very specific kind of hold on this genre yeah. that no one really jumps into. You know, yeah. last week, a couple of weeks ago, Richard, we talked about like Richard Cheese. And like, he's kind of on his coattails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, you know, Weird Al, is, I'm assuming he's selling hundreds of thousands of albums, if not more. Richard oh, Cheese millions. is yeah. selling some. He's the, the some. curds, to...
0: He's he he he's a working professional musician.
1: Yeah, yeah, makes a living out of it. God bless him. But definitely, like Weird Al, just just operates on a different level that everybody knows and has Mm -hmm. everybody's known for almost forty years, thirty something years of. Oh yeah, he's that guy that does that thing, and you could you know at least one Weird Al song, and uh, he just he happens to grab the right song at the right part with in the Zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. A couple years ago, he did. what was that happy song that was by? Uh, oh, Pharrell. Yeah, Pharrell. I can't remember. I can't remember the Weird Al version. Whatever, whatever the Weird Al song mm-hmm. was. But like, it's in my head. Like, if I'm hearing happy, I'm hearing the Weird Al. Yeah, in my head.
2: Jeff, bro. Okay. Yo. Okay. So, what are you doing? Uh, uh you, you ready? So, how's your girl? That's what I want to ask you guys. Uh, this album. There was an album that I found. I don't know how I found it. But some of the supporting players on it were Father Guido Sarducci, Don Novello, mm-hmm. Chris, and in a soundbite, it's Chris Elliott, and uh, sampling lines from Get a Life, the Chris Elliott show that had <laughs> gone off the air 10 years before. And it was the album "So's Your Girl, featuring um, Prince Paul and Dan the Automator, both from Tommy Boy Records. Um, and so, so How's Your Girl. And it's basically using... An episode called the prettiest week of my life where chris elliott becomes a male model from the show get a life <laughs> as a centerpiece in throughline. line uh, check it check it
0: back in your presence is the press dismissing these rounds like pairs full color high res i lie just as high bias a lot of mcs ride my is and i don't like it i'm the master of innovation that ain't the reek well perhaps i'll bring a center stage then so you can be got fakes. They just a pale make of my own chromosome. I'm a, guilty, a that tracks on wax or drug machines for your
2: And I remember thinking this is the most ridiculous shit metal I've metal metal ever heard in my life. And I can't believe they're using this. And they got Don Novello, writer for Saturday Night Live, author of the Laszlo papers, and performer of this character that people had forgotten a decade before, Father Guido Sarducci. To perform as Father Guido Sarducci, a Catholic priest. And I couldn't fucking stop laughing, the whole album. <laughs> and the whole time, it's funky. It's got a great... The production is amazing. It's got Del the Funky, Homo Sapien. And uh, it's uh, it was it's an amazing album. And they chose... Chest um, Merriweather, I think is someone's name. They chose names from Boogie Nights. Oh, Nathaniel Merriweather... Uh, which was a character played by Chris Elliott in Cabin Boy, and Chest Rockwell, which is the name used by John C. Riley in Boogie Nights, as their as their pseudonyms within the album. Is this
0: the Handsome Boy Modeling School? Handsome,
2: album? Bod- Handsome Boy Modeling School was the is the act, and So How's Your Girl was the album. So they took their name, Handsome Boy Modeling School, from the modeling school that Chris Elliott goes to and gets ripped off. <laughs> so it's like, why is this album even made? I couldn't even understand it, other than that it was just so freaking hilarious, and something that combined all these things that I'd loved, including Chris Elliott's father, who was Bob Elliott of Bob and Ray, uh, a a radio comedy duo. So, um, and also just the kind of the production and kind of the swagger and all that stuff. So, yeah, they might have a new album coming out, by the way. Yeah, that's what I like. Yeah, I think they Prince Paul and, and Automator getting weren't away. getting along, and now they're there was a business. Along. There was some sort of business a business disagreement. Disagreement, whatever that <laughs> is. How can you be making zero money and have a business disagreement? Nobody makes money in music anymore. I seem,
0: I seem to remember that I think it was either this album or maybe it was the second album. Mm-hmm. They had like a a commercial for it that was like a like a KTEL Records. Yeah, they type just thing. they
2: just did like a tennis-themed album, which is, like, just hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah. I like this choice a Did lot. It, Did loved it.
0: Loved it. Do I like it enough to put it on my list?
2: Oh, dear. I guess we'll find out. I
0: don't know. Because it is time, folks. Okay. okay. Time for the judging. And let's see. I have to pick four of these. First one is Lazy Sunday. I yeah, just that's... love. It. I just love the idea of you know the you're
1: such a big Mr. Pibb fan and I knew that going in
0: yeah you really you really know you know, you know your audience well uh, second one is Me, Myself, and I from De La Soul okay because I was a huge fan of that song yeah so that's one for you Jeff second one for you for So How's Your Girl
2: oh nice
0: because I I, I loved that album when it yeah. came out and it's so ridiculous and then for a fourth one I'm gonna do a little reaching into Borglund's Bag whoa wow so He evoked the back. I did. He's reaching into the back. I'm pulling something out right now. Okay. And what this is, is much like Gustav Borg. Yeah. I have some power in this. Oh, sure, yeah. And I can decide if you guys really blew it with something, Mm-mm. I can make my own choice and get myself a point.
2: Mm-hmm. Which
0: yeah. we're getting towards that end of the year, by the way. You're not catching me. I by. know I'm not catching <laughs>
1: And Interestingly, this is, cl- this is a clever this is a clever pull that I never thought you'd do to kind of oh, to, uh, to get more points. Jerry rig the game toward yourself, but you never
0: thought I'd do this. You should have thought should have thought about it a little Before bit more. We rewrote the rules. Yeah. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, this this music video also features Don Novello. Okay. It is by one rapping Rodney Dangerfield. Oh
2: wow! I
0: play
1: him all right now, but last week I was in rough shape. I don't get a break with nothing i played hide and seek when i was three no respect no respect why they wouldn't even look for me no respect no respect i was an ugly kid i never had fun no respect no respect they took me to a dog show and i won no respect no respect when i was born i brought no joy no respect no respect my old man said he wanted a boy
0: you guys didn't do no any respect, songs that no are, are like old comedians I don't or think other is... people sort of trying to do rap. It's jokey. That's just jokey joke. That's no longer a jokey rap.
2: See, I'm not to judge. I'll shut up.
0: See, here's the thing, though. It was co-written <laughs> by the same guys who co-wrote The Breaks for is Curtis that right? Blow. Wow. Yeah. So they wrote, hey, they wrote a with, song with Rodney Dangerfield, which, to your point, is essentially just Rodney Dangerfield doing the bits from his r- yeah. r- routine. <laughs> I got no respect. With a beat. Yeah. What's the name of the I was an ugly kid. I never had fun. <laughs> <laughs> They took me to a dog show and I won. <laughs> and that is basically the entire song. <laughs> and it went to like, it made it in the top 100. It made it to number 83 on the Billboard charts. Is that right? What was it? People name of, were playing this rap and Robert Rodney.
1: Raleigh. Oh, okay, okay,
0: okay. The, 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 they did an album that had a total of three songs on it. It was like, <laughs> <That's an EP. laughs> It was like, Rapping Rodney, Rodney Rappin'. And then a, th- a third one that I can't remember.
1: Rodney Rodney. Rodney R-
0: Rappin' and Rodney. rapping Rappin'
1: R- rope and R- Rodney was his clenching R- 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 Western album.
0: <laughs> hey! And I just... I, I gotta ride a horse. The uh, reason I... Other than the fact that it, it's sort of... It's the most egregious example, I think, of that trend in like the... When rap first started to get kind of mainstream in yeah. the mid-80s. Especially around the time the Beastie Boys and Run-DMC started selling millions of albums. Yeah. And LL Cool J, too. That you started to see people trying to cash in at it to make a cheap buck. Yeah,
2: and I think much Eddie- like
0: you did a bit like disco, when disco was a fad. Yeah, people tried to cash in on on cheap dis- cheap disco albums, mm-hmm. whether they were serious or jo- or jokey. Yeah, and I think you saw the same thing with rap. Mm-hmm. I think this is the most insane example of it.
2: Was there examples? I remember Eddie Murphy did a comedy, uh... boogie in the butt. Boogie in the butt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, step aside, my friends. I've been doing it for years. <laughs> open up your eyes. Open up your ears. Put the boogie in, in your butt. butt. <laughs> Telephone pole <laughs> in, in your butt. butt. Yeah. So, but then you went legit. Like, I think you don't go from joke to then, my girl wants to party all the time. Party as, all the time. As legit as that song. Yeah. When we went serious. Yeah. That just, I don't think you can do that. Can you do that?
0: Today? Yeah. Oh, gotta... Well, DJ, I mean, Will Smith kind of did. I mean,. Like was some, something like summertime? That's not like a jokey song. But he was a rapper first, right? But he was a, a jokey rapper first, and then as his career as his, his career progressed, he was able to do stuff that wasn't necessarily as jokey. Okay. So,
1: anyway, so and is that and the and winner? Then, is and that and the Borg? Does the, that's Borgman's Whatever, that's Borg, the, that's whatever the hell was the the end songs to like four of his movies? Yeah, exactly. Wild
2: Wild West.
0: Of course, we've we've thought about that as a topic. It's just Will Smith songs from his movies. <laughs> yeah. That include the title of the movie.
1: I
2: am time. Legend. <laughs> Happiness. Where's the, Where's the
1: Muhammad Ali song?
0: Yeah, <laughs> Yo, I'm Muhammad Ali, and I'm here to say anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway guys. Suicide Squad. Thank you for listening <laughs> to us. We appreciate you putting up with me as the host today, as always. Yeah,
1: you were passable.
0: I was. You I great. a solid C plus. I, I would give myself C, at least a C, probably a C
2: minus. If 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 C is an A, then you get a C. Thanks. Oh, oh, ships? Ships? <laughs>
0: All right, guys, I'm, this has been the Round Rush Podcast. I'm Richard. I'm Jeff. I'm Michael.